Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and importantly appreciation. The show is broadcast from 3CR Studios in Melbourne on 855am. Thanks to Sally for another great show of Out of the Pan and yeah, lots of really interesting discussions, important discussions of yeah, opposing transphobia including from within um, queer or rainbow communities. So yeah, definitely check that out 12 till 1 every Sunday. Listen to the shows at 3cr.org.au. I'm Nick Pendergrass hosting today and we've got two guests in the studio. So first of all, we've got Megan Street coming back on the show from Green Left Radio. Thanks for coming back in, Megan. Good afternoon, everyone. Good. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we've also got, um, sorry, we've also just to build on Megan. So Megan was on the show a while back talking about animals and the environment and, uh, yeah, the role, the place of animals in the environmental movement, those kind of issues. And so we're going to build on those discussions a bit with a um, little interview that Megan did with Denithi Pereira, Veganism for the Planet, all about that issue of, yeah, animals and, and the environment, those kind of issues. So we'll play that later on in the show and return to some of those issues. Um, and, and, yeah, I guess on those lines we've got... All also Harley in the studio as well and Harley has written the article which is whose environment are we fighting for why the environmental movement fright why the, why the environmental movement frightens me as an animal ally so welcome to the show Harley thanks Nick nice to be here and before we get on to animals in the environment that'll be in the second part of the show but in the first part I wanted to well, we wanted to talk a little bit about changes in the in the movement over the years, and uh, I know Megan has been a long time in the movement. I, I believe Harley somewhat more recently. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing just by your age. Yeah. How long have you been? <laughs> um, I've been in this movement for around four years now. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so Megan much longer and has kind of witnessed some of these changes and so we're keen to yeah have Megan and Harley talk about some of these changes that have occurred in the movement over the years. So, But I guess maybe before we get on to that, I was curious here. So Megan um, hosts Green Left, uh, Green Left, Green Radio. Left Radio. Yeah, I was going to say Green Left Weekly Radio, but Green Left Radio. <laughs> And yeah, that that show deals with a wide, wide wide range of issues, workers' rights, environmental issues, all these other issues. I know you occasionally bring animal issues to that show as yes. well, but I guess it's predominantly not focused on animals. And no. so I was curious about your journey of getting into like left wing politics and yeah, being vegan as well and concerned about animals. Like what what came first there, the chicken or the no egg? Or yeah, uh, that's yeah. interesting. Um, so I'm I'm a long term uh, vegan, so not mm. not plant based, but vegan. Mm. So mm. It, this sort of um, Justice and compassion has um, coloured my life, a lifestyle in my life and my philosophies um, for over a quarter of a century now. Um, I was when I got into activism, um, I had already the seeds of, of a wider sense of justice had already been sown. But when I got into activism, it was definitely all about um, veganism, um, about animal advocacy, etc. But there was a strong sense of the environment as well because I had already clued into that. Um, it's only been recently, probably in the last two to three years, that I've really gotten into in, a, in an active way 
uh, advocating for other things, so workers' rights and justice, people's rights, um, you know, people around the world and, and how this relates to the environment and to a whole host of other issues, including animal advocacy. And so I guess you could call me a long-term vegan and uh, short-term socialist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. And what about you, Sally? I'm um, not Sally. I'm not Sally. <laughs> um, so, um, Harley. Um, yeah, I know, you know, obviously you're very involved in the animal movement, yep. but um, you're also, I believe, up to a feminist book club this afternoon. <laughs> and you've been on the show talking about Palestine. And I know yep. we sort of focus on some of the, um, yeah, the animal issues going on and different relationships with animals. But I know you're very concerned about that issue from a human rights perspective mm-hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, what came first for you in terms of these uh, various social justice issues? Um, that's a really interesting question because so I was a very angsty, politically, yeah, just politically angsty teenager. So I grew up in a really rural area um, and I was always the person who, you know, would be like, refugees are welcome, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't really, I wasn't very politically engaged. Like my, I was I had a very, quite a political family, but in kind of a passive way, um, I wasn't like there wasn't any activism where I grew up. It was the most you did was kind of put your hand up in class and go, that's not true. But I didn't, I wasn't very educated on that issue. So when I went to uni um, back in 2016, that was kind of, I wouldn't say it was my first exposure. It was really more my first opportunity to get involved with politically progressive groups. So it started off, off actually, I became involved with um, Fossil Free Monash, which was an environmental advocacy group. But at that same time, I was studying philosophy and one of the early people that I studied was Peter Singer. And so I was introduced to the topic of anti-speciesism. And that was kind of, for me, that was the catalyst for all of my activism. And that's kind of where my heart is. Like I'm very, I've always been quite, like I've always been someone who, believes that we can have a fairer world and I believe I've always considered myself someone who wants to stand up for what's fair and what's right and I think of that as just being across the board whether someone's a human whether someone's regardless of species regardless of what oppression someone's facing what oppression the environment's facing what oppression is happening I believe that it's wrong and I want to stand up against it so I think it was never really a like, yeah, I hear some people talk about, you know, oh, I started off in animal rights and I went into environmental rights and I went into human rights. It's never really been that kind of line for me. It's more been like I'm against oppression wherever I find it. So uncovering speciesism for me was just uncovering a form of oppression that I didn't know about. And the reason it touched me so much was just because it's so hidden. And so, yeah, I think for me that it didn't really like open up the door for concern that was already there, but it more struck the match for my for activism. And as soon as I understood speciesism and I understood how it's linked to so many other forms of oppression, and then I started understanding pr- oppression on a better level. I started reading people like works of people of color and um, you know animal liberation activists of color and um, people with disabilities who are also involved in animal liberation, and started to understand how systemic oppression is and that got me to the point where I am now, which is where I am just for liberation in general. But yeah, I kind of think there's so much shit in the world and sometimes you need to find you need to find your place to specialise mm. and kind of dedicate the most amount of your energy. So I consider the animal justice, animal liberation movement, that's that place for me. And as well as that, I want to support and be an ally to as many other movements as I can. So. Mm. Yeah, and it 
it comes back to Peter Singer for quite a few people. And oh. I think a lot of us who have found Peter Singer maybe have kind of moved on into Very more, much so. more radical philosophy, as we say, <laughs> yeah. other, other perspectives that might bring in intersections <laughs> of other issues, et cetera. But, um, yeah, definitely Singer's work and, and just um, I don't believe he coined the term but sort of popularised yeah. that term of speciesism, definitely yeah. discrimination against animals did play a role in, in the sort of the, um, yeah, or sort of kick-started this movement to a degree or discussion on these kind of issues. So, yeah, Megan, from your time from being in this movement a very long time, what some of the changes that you've witnessed? Um, well, I have never actually been involved in um, going to places where animals are raised and actually, you know, breaking in and doing filming, etc. But what I have noticed, I did watch a lot of that sort of footage um, in order to gain an understanding of, you know, the industry uh, of exploitation and, you know, to help it shape my arguments. Probably one of the things that I have found that is the most interesting and to me possibly the most disturbing is the focus that um, has changed over the years. So when we're looking at footage in the 1990s, um, footage of these sorts of activist uh, incursions into, um, you know, chicken uh, sheds, etc., what we would find is uh, you'd have... Uh, the animal as the focus. So you would see footage of the chickens in these deplorable you know, conditions. They would be caged up. They would be sitting in their own feces. The feces would – I'm sorry, I should probably put a content warning on this – but, uh, you know, the feces would burn their skin and you would but have people um, showing this and having this as the central highlight. When you actually saw people in the footage, what they were doing is they were sometimes gently lifting up the, the creature to show you the extent of the damage and the exploitation. Or, you know, they'd be uh, lifting up a wing to show you what was happening with the feathers, etc. Or holding them and the animal would be the focus and, you know, the animal would be the topic of, of what was going on. Probably, I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but sometime after 2000, maybe in the 2010s, what I noticed is with footage of this kind of thing, we had a switch from animals being the centre of the focus mm. to the activists themselves being the centre of the focus. Mm. Now, there's a whole bunch of levels and issues that I, we might not have time to go into, but what I actually found was it was almost like the animals became a sideline to the, the whole thing. So these people were going out, they were passionate about, you know, um, you know, showing what was happening in the industries, etc. But it felt to me like the people were more of the focus now than the animals were. And I think in, in this way, I mean, there are certain pros and cons to that. But when we look at who is the focus of this, who is being oppressed, who is being caged, who is suffering under these terrible conditions and who should be concentrated on, um, it, the, the answer is always the animals. And to me, I see that as an effective way of showing what happens rather than the people. What I also find is the farmer's uh, reaction is different now. So when we had footage of just the animals and the conditions that they were in, the farmers used to go, oh, that, you know, look, that's just an outlier. You know, that, that farmer's not doing, you know, what's industry standard and all that sort of stuff. But now they can focus on the people because the people are the focus. And so we get into this argument of these terrorist vegan activists and, you know, what they're doing is wrong and everything rather than actually concentrating on the animals. And to me, I find that disturbing because we've got to recenter it. We have to come back to the animals and to have them as a focus rather than people advocating for the animals. Mm. I know this is something you've, um, yeah, you raised on the show recently when mm. we were doing a recap of the Animal Activist Forum. But yeah, I guess that definitely rings true in your experience from uh, from things you've said before on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for me, I think, so I became involved in this movement 
right around the time when veganism was starting to boom. So it's, it was really easy for me to trans- transition my diet. But I think a big thing for me is noticing how the more, the faster and the more veganism grows, it kind of, it's, it seems to me to almost just like really like align with the decentering of animals because it becomes the vegan movement, it becomes vegan activists. Whereas, you know, you can't have a vegan movement, you can't have vegan activists, but vegans aren't an oppressed group. And I think I see that quite a lot at the moment where, and you see it with interactions, like I've seen it with interactions with, you know, friends and family where they'll start talking about you as a vegan rather than the issue that you're talking about. So, you know, like I had a friend recently who been talking about this topic of how like you know how we can move away from veganism move beyond veganism and he was describing how he was in the car with his brother and his brother like looked out the window and saw kind of horses and was like oh you vegans would be against that wouldn't you so it kind of becomes that conversation of you a certain group in society are against this but the rest of society are not it's like an opinion that vegans hold. It's a, something that vegans do rather than getting to the conversation about speciesism in general. What, why, is, why are people pointing that out and saying that's injustice? Mm. So I think the injustice gets lost when we identify ourselves as vegans because then it becomes an identity category who, and we're used to identity categories in society that have different views. We're used to that conversation about respecting people's religion, respecting people's beliefs. So we are hardwired to understand that if someone sits within an identity category, then it's okay for them to have different beliefs and we can respect them while still holding our own beliefs. So by creating this identity category of vegan and really strictly, you know, like building that and creating these walls where it's like we are vegans you are not it creates that as an identity category that people can then look at as separate and go okay yeah vegans are against that but i don't have to question it because Mm. that's just something vegans don't like Mm. so i think that for me i see that as something that's really decentering animals because it stops being about the oppression it stops being about the injustice it stops being about speciesism and it starts being about veganism Mm. and yeah, I think it's a real problem. I definitely agree that it's a real problem. And I think that that recentering is like number one priority mm. for this movement moving forward and finding a way to bring all, like, get all activists on board with that and see ourselves as allies, not even activists. Because mm. We are we're allies as an ally movement. So. Yeah, and we did have a discussion. I was on last show, but on Freedom of Species last show, there was quite an interesting discussion about eating animal, like eating with people or eating animals and those kind of discussions. And there's, that's kind of a big discussion, which I don't know if we'll get into. But mm. either way, I have found interesting sometimes as a vegan, people kind of apologizing to me or going, this is a bad thing because you're here rather than, mm. and I'm like, well, I'm fine. <laughs> like, I'm like, as, as you've touched on, like, I'm not the victim. I'm doing quite fine. And it's sort of, again, it's sort of about upsetting vegans rather yeah. than actually the animal uh, themselves. And I think also for those of us who are involved in social justice beyond animals as well, as all three of us are to different degrees, um, I think that idea of like centering the sort of the privileged group doesn't make any sense in those other contexts, right? Yeah. Like obviously the anti-racism movement shouldn't be about white people, even though white people do have a mm. role to play and same with animals as well or feminism and men or whatever. It's like yeah. not to let those groups uh, off the hook and say you've, you 
it's not your issue. Like we do have a responsibility to address those issues, but it shouldn't be about us as a privileged group. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree. The same argument applies to animals as well. I also want to just give a, 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 just an example. This is from Which Side Podcast. If anyone's interested, you can check that out at whichsidepodcast.com. They're sort of on hiatus or maybe stop, but you can hear all, all, all their old episodes online anyway. But um, yeah, that's a vegan anarchist podcast. And on this podcast, they played a talk by Josh Harper, who's been involved in the sort of direct action aspect of the movement. And it was an interesting talk called Reinventing Direct Action Alternatives to Theoretical theatrical militancy theatrical militancy and basically that was talking about um, direct action specifically and as Megan touched on these kind of actions where people do break in and rescue animals those kind of things and how back in the like early days of that kind of activism it often was about centering the animal and often the masks that people wore were animal masks and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing and and as you say um, the photos were all about the animals themselves the people were kind of incidental and then over the years Josh Harper argued that it actually changed the focus it was all about the sort of the aesthetic of like the wearing black and this this mask and very much mm. centering the people and and certainly as someone who sort of comes from like punk hardcore kind of background like that is kind of like an aesthetic that kind of appeals to me I guess but it's like kind of becomes about that like the people wearing black and this sort of like this idea of the yeah sort of like yeah sort of rogue person and and all this kind mm. of stuff and like yeah doing your own thing and direct action and all, all that kind of stuff and yeah sort of moving away from animals themselves and I also wanted to bring in um social media as well i've certainly seen uh, i just wonder if this plays a role that i've certainly seen uh in the past and i I try not to i feel a bit like right wing almost talking about like (laughs) virtue signaling or something but this idea of like people are about to do do a direct action or something and putting like a selfie of themselves up on social media and it's like that's not that's not a smart thing what i was talking about and it's like but like who like who is that benefiting you know Mm. what i mean like so yeah um yeah it sounds like you do but yeah do you think social media plays a role in this move from like and probably things like youtube as well but um um, yeah, this idea of like has played a role in the centering of humans. I'm 100% convinced it has. Mm. Um, I, you might have heard the term cult of personality. Mm. Um, so we, so we've always had cult of personalities. We've always mm. had people whose personalities are drawn, people are drawn to, and they're drawn to the philosophies that the, this person espouses. Mm. But what we get now is that with social media, with YouTube, with Insta, with all of the other social media platforms. We have an ability for these cults of personalities to go worldwide, to have a worldwide impact. Now, that's good in one way. It's good that we are getting out the message. We're outreaching. Social media and YouTube has basically allowed an entire generation to access this information without talking to other people around them who may give them, you know, oh, just shut up about this sort of stuff. I mean, the amount of information out there is great. But the one problem that we have, or one of the problems that we have with the cult of personality is that it is again focused on the person so when you have this animal advocacy and when you have when you look at the way that social media is is uh, organized it is all about narcissistic kind of elements it does have these and and i think what we have is we have a combination of animal advocacy and this narcissistic tendency towards cult of personalities and towards centering of the human in um you know in whatever thing that they're doing and in this case animal advocacy so you have this cult of personality, and I mean, I could—I'm sure that you could name several um, people in in the animal rights group, you, you know, in the animal rights movements, um, who you know do this kind of advocacy and do people center, and it's good in a way because people are actually going and looking and and and. Um, you know, getting their philosophies and, and honing that kind of compassion for animals through that. 
But once again, when we get this direct action occurring, it's all about people. And these people, and what that that whole selfie thing, um, you know, that that whole instance of that particular selfie was kind of one of the reasons why I, I wanted to start speaking about this. Because then you have these people who are filming themselves confronting the farmer in daylight and often a lot of these um, direct action things are in the under the cover of night mm. um, you know but these people went in and they brazenly confronted the farmer and now the farmer is the problem yes they are actually exploiting animals etc but maybe that it's not the best way to do it and maybe filming yourself confronting the farmer is not actually going to try and transform the hearts and minds of of the people you need to transform because mm. it's not animal advocates that we we are trying to transform it's not those people it's the hearts and minds of the general community that we need to bring into this sphere of compassion and and show them it's not just as you know as Harley said it's not just vegans that should be doing this it's actually everyone that should be thinking about these things and and centering animals more prominently in our lives and and thinking about how we use them and if that's right yeah and i i do think even not just when people are directly confronting like yeah farmers animal agriculture workers etc but even um yeah more sort of like street outreach i often find um yeah. yeah this performative aspect with social media and obviously we all like perform it's nothing new with social media it just sort of exaggerates these things that are already in place like we act differently around different people and those kind of things but i do feel social media kind of amplifies these things and so i, I feel like yeah again i'm not heavily sort of don't watch a lot of the vegan youtube stuff but sometimes videos compilations and it's kind of like where i guess rather than having like a genuine discussion with someone about animals it's more about like making a point for your youtube vegan audience and so yeah, i wonder yeah. how much we're getting through to people when we're trying to get more likes on youtube or whatever subscribers whatever yeah. um rather than actually engaging with the person we're speaking to but yeah holly yeah. what do you think about this role of social media and centering humans yeah absolutely like i'm not the best person to talk about social media because i don't use it very much mm. Um, I mainly use it to post my articles, so, you know, I'm just, uh, just as much using it as a tool. But I think what I see is that social media is a platform which allows, like Megan said, it allows people to get well by reach for whatever views they hold. So mm. in, you know, previous times with old media, like old media was not perfect. Or there was a lot of problems with it. But media was curated, um, whereas now anyone with no like any view can get out there and it's like I would say it's definitely co like you can definitely see like the rise and the strengthening of social media kind of corresponding with the rise of like the neo-nazi movement and all that where it's like people suddenly have this platform um to project themselves out into the world and I think I see social media as yeah, that platform I don't see it as a cause of the problem the problem that I see as being the kind of main cause is that veganism, the vegan movement, and that was quotation marks in my <laughs> speech there, um, is a movement that is really easy for people to enter because it doesn't involve them having to question their political stance. So at the moment, the way it works, it's a, yeah, it's a vegan movement. It's not an animal liberation movement. So people go in and, you know, activism is a great way for narcissistic personality people, usually, you know, white men who just want to be heard, just want to have their views heard. Activism is a great way for that to happen. However, a lot of movements, they aren't drawn to, they don't go to, because it's 
hard for them to get in. They have to, you know, they have to actually change the way they think. They have to reject certain toxic structures. They have to really understand systems of oppression. Whereas with the current animal movement, there's none of that. With the current animal movement, it's not centered on a political idea. It's centered on a lifestyle change. It's centered on if you change your diet and if you start preaching animals first for the animals, again, quotation marks in my speech there, then you'll be accepted in. So it's given these people this easy platform. And again, you see you see really similar people and sometimes even the same people, if we look into the Meltman animal rights movement, um, you see the same or similar people going and talking and presenting themselves in the vegan movement, as you see at like an alt-right um, kind of pro- uh, alt-right kind of event and all that. So you can see the kind of people we're drawing in with that. And I think so. I think the main issue, the kind of undercurrent, the the core of this is that we have diluted, not we, as in the people in this room, but as a gen- kind of movement in general, we've diluted the political, like the politicality politicality of our movement to such an extent that people can just waltz on in and start projecting their views and get a lot of exposure so and that kind of that draws people in and they're people who do post a selfie before they walk into a slaughterhouse they're people who do you know do that kind of performative tearful activism where they're the victim they're like it was so horrible I saw all this trauma donate to my patreon it's we're drawing those people in because of the way our movement is evolving. So I think that, again, is a sign, like, that Facebook kind of culture is a symptom of what is broken about our movement and it's a symptom yeah. of what we need to work on changing, which is that we're not a political movement at the moment, we're a consumer movement, and that's scary. <laughs> and yeah. I, I did want to give a quick plug. We're, we're running a Liberated Futures Conference uh, next weekend, Saturday 30th to, uh, yeah, Sunday 1st of December. We'll, we'll talk about that more later, but one talk in particular, which is just to the points you raised, um, Cressida Wilson, who is coming across from Aotearoa or New Zealand, mm. um, has a talk, Celebrity Hegans, a critical feminist, feminist analysis of YouTube animal advocates. So that sounds very relevant mm, to what we've yeah. been discussing. So I look forward to that talk. Um, um, but yeah, we'll talk about that a bit more later on in the show. But I guess to wrap up this section before we talk a bit about animals and environment in the second part, I wanted to just, um, yeah, talk a bit about the way in which sometimes um, we centre animals or at least we pretend to or claim to centre animals, but in a, sort of a very problematic or harmful way, which I know neither of you are, are talking about at all. But I, I have heard, um, yes, yeah, sort of people, again, sort of be claimed to be centering animals by basically saying, like, keep quiet about the homophobia phobia mm. experience within the movement because it's all about the animals. I was again, I know the homophobia, probably, the sexism, well, everything. The, yeah, 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 exploitation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. I, I, I was thinking yeah. of a, a particular example where someone, yeah, yeah. yeah a friend of mine, I did have that um, <laughs> said to her, like as in, like, yeah, don't worry about your homophobia. Let's all unite for the animals by not talking about those other forms of yeah. oppression. I know that's not what you're saying mm. at all, but yeah, I was just uh, curious your thoughts on this idea of like centering animals in a yeah very positive way, which is what you're saying, versus in that very harmful and negative way, and also if you do have any thoughts on, yeah, more sort of practical ways we can centre animals in the movement, if you have any thoughts on that. So, yeah. yeah. Either you, of you? Did you want... Okay. Yeah, so I think that's like, that's kind of what I was touching on as well, like that depolitical nature of the movement draws people in who haven't deconstructed 
the systemic oppression in our society. They've only identified a wrong. So, oh my gosh, animals are being tortured. That's bad. We should stop that. They haven't gotten to the point where they understand that that's part of a systemic, like a society of systemic oppression, which, you know, encompasses colonization and encompasses like just the ownership of land and women and all of that. It has a huge history, which starts, you know, with the agricultural revolution back however many thousand years ago. So it's like agrarian revolution, sorry. Um, It's like these people who come into this movement so easily because they have this easy platform, they haven't deconstructed that in their mind. So they're still stuck at that point at this is something that's wrong in society and if we fix it, then society will be great. And often they're people who, for them, society is great. great. So yeah. they can look at this happening and be like, well, we just need to fix that. But everything else is fine. There's no systemic racism or sexism or heterosexism. We're fine. There's no ableism. What are you talking about? So it's usually, yeah, like straight, white, cisgender often men, a lot of the time women as well, um, who don't have any disabilities, are, you know, neurotypical in most ways. And they're like, for me, the world is great. So they see animals being hurt and they're like, well, we can fix that. We can change that. And they fail to grasp that it's part of something so much bigger. So I think for me, it's like we need to deconstruct that vision of society. And also we need to just And I think like just one of the most practical things we can do to center animals is first by centering people of color, by centering people with disabilities, by centering people in our society who are right now experiencing the same or similar kind of oppression that animals are experiencing. And I want to be clear that I know there's um, a lot of like debate around what term to use when referring to animals, you know, whether to use other animals, other species, um, animals other than humans, animals exploited by humans, blah, blah, blah. I use animals. I use it with capital A because I understand animal as a political um, concept, not a biological one. So we have, you know, animals who are exploited by um, humans, which are like regardless of species, we also have humans who are animalized by other humans, such as people of color, such as people with disabilities. So I consider animal as a political category. So that's why I just use animal. But I do fucking hate, sorry, am I? (laughs) That's right, that's right. I do hate the term for the animals or just the animals in general as this kind of amorphous group of I don't even know what it is. But yeah, I think just like practically it comes down to that centering. Like, you know, if we're having a conference, if we're having a talk, trying to, to the best of our ability, have people of color, have people with disabilities and make our spaces, spaces that welcome those people, deconstruct our own systemic racism, understand our own privilege. And also like, you know, acknowledgement, like we all, I think it's great that we do acknowledgement of countries now at most events, but also like acknowledging animals, acknowledging who is being oppressed at this stage. Like just that when I was in America, um, I worked and I'm going moving to the UK soon um, to work kind of with a group called Animal Think Tank. And one thing that they started doing, which I've taken on as well, is they at the start of every presentation, they do they do a minute silence and a little like talk about like just remembering all the animals who are currently being oppressed by humans as well as all the ones who live free from human interference as well as all the ones who have been freed or have freed themselves and the possibility that that creates. And I think that's just something so simple, but it brings the oppressed back into the space. We also used to leave um, chairs free. So we had like an eight-day workshop and for the whole workshop we left two chairs empty 
and they had two empty chairs. One of them, we had a little doll of a horse on it, which we didn't have any anyone better. So that was my mm-hmm. contribution who I carry around with me everywhere. Um, it's actually from Acres Mission. Okay. So we had that little doll on the chair and the other one had a pot plant on it. So in our way, that was remembering the animals who are resisting right now and also the ones who have been, like who have died and who have kind of lost their fight for liberation. So I think there are some really small but powerful things that we can do and sometimes they feel a little bit silly, but it's just that bringing the oppressed back into spaces and, yeah, decon- deconstructing our own... Um, like duplicity with oppression, like understanding the way we privilege from it. So, Mm. yeah, sorry about my rant. No, no, that's good. And and I think that, yeah, often whatever issue we're talking about, whatever we do is like as an individual, as a group, it's always going to be, you know, it's not going to solve the problem. But I always feel like we can have a discussion about token solution stuff. I always feel like token solutions or trying to address an Mm. issue is better than just ignoring it altogether. So I think it's good to at least that. What about you, Megan? Um, I, I actually think Holly's right. I think having these discussions is is a way is part of the solution, and having these um, having the ability. I'm, you know, as she said, people of color, those with disabilities, etc. You know, it's not just about their inclusion, but we cannot, as a single, you know, like a, a, I don't know, cis white, etc. Movement. How how can we call ourselves an inclusive movement, and how can we gain everybody and the, you know, and the hearts and minds of everybody if we ourselves are not inclusive? That's not, I mean, we have to practice what we preach. And, you know, just coming into the movement and and I know that you had a discussion, I don't know how many um, episodes back about toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to, um, so I know that this is something that a lot of people don't want us to talk about, but I think that the animal um, advocacy movement at the moment has a toxic masculinity problem. I've heard too many disturbing stories over the years and recently about uh, men coming into the movement, and at the moment, uh, currently, it is often a very women-populated um, movement. And so I think a lot of men come in, as you said, you know, other places they have to change their politics, they have to change their ways of thought. It might be difficult for them to go up the ranks, but here in the animal advocacy movement, they can actually quite easily uh, go up the ranks. You know, they, they're a male, uh, they come in, and they often, um, you know, tend to bring certain structures in from the outside world that are perhaps not as helpful as we they or, or anyone thinks they are and so we bring in these hierarchies we bring in these methods of looking at the world that are quite toxic and quite non-inclusive into the animal advocacy movement but I have to say it's not just the animal advocacy movement I mean I work in areas I, I work in human rights I work in environmental rights you know environmental advocacy etc um, and even with people who are supposedly woke, and I'm I'm saying this in inverted commas, um, you will get these power hierarchies, and they're often involving cis white men, and they're often involving uh, sexual exploitation. They're involving um, you know oppression of women. They're involving the um, the lack of knowledge and understanding about certain areas of privilege that we have. And so when we when we come across these sorts of things. Depending on how we, we do it, I mean, I try I do it as a not like quite non confrontational, inclusive um, sort of thing because I know that we're all at fault, and I know I have my own privileges, and I know I have my own faults. So I try and um, to talk about these things and discuss them. And when we come up against them, I think it's always good to discuss these things because sometimes people don't even know. I mean, fish don't know about air. <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to know about something that I don't actually get, um, you know, affected by personally? Yeah. But we do have to, and I think that there is this 
really sort of toxic um, uh, practice of pushing these things under the carpet because we're doing it for the animals. But when we actually do that, we are we are basically creating this toxic environment of supposed activists um, that can't even acknowledge that we have our own problems and that we should be working on them. Um, It's really, really important because advocacy is an all-inclusive thing. When one is oppressed, all is oppressed. And I firmly believe this. And so we are not going to be doing any good for the animals if we can't even treat human animals correctly. And so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think another thing, and, and Harley mentioned like people saying everything's fine except like veganism, yeah. except animals. And another thing I've commonly heard is is people speaking as though sexism, racism were important issues mm. and <laughs> now we've got the animal issue. And I think, you know, I think there's both a responsibility on those with privilege who may not experience these for us to do our research and, and understand yeah. and, and talk to people and et cetera and realise that these are ongoing issues mm. rather than issues <laughs> of the past. But also it's important to hear those voices who probably don't need to read a book for example i haven't heard too many women say sexism is an issue of the past i haven't heard too many people people of color say that racism is is an issue of the past so yeah definitely it's an issue for all of us to educate ourselves about all these issues but also uh responsibly for a movement to to get those voices who who aren't going to be making those same mistakes that are often made within the within the movement uh we better move on to the animals and environment topic so we're going to play a um yeah a little package put together by denithi Pereira, who um called v Veganism for the Planet. Um, Denithi is a student who did this for a uni project. And I did want to just briefly mention, I probably don't really need to convince either 3CR listeners generally or Freedom of Species listeners specifically, but just a recent report. This was all, all kind of different places, but this is from theguardian.com. Uh, the world's people face untold suffering due to the climate crisis unless there are major transformations to global society, according to a stark warning from more than 11,000 scientists from 153 nations put out recently um, and so this is what they um, stated we declare clearly and unequivocally that planet earth is facing a climate emergency to secure a sustainable future we must change how we live and the guardian also reported that the scientists say that the urgent changes needed include ending population growth leaving fossil fuels in the ground halting forest destruction and slashing meat eating so it is interesting that increasingly i feel like even in these more mainstream scientific reports they are addressing animal agriculture as sort of as part of it again there's so many different issues when it comes to the environment but definitely animal agriculture is an important one um and so this features megan who i've got in here anything else you want to say about it before we play this megan no, um, Denithi was calling, just did a call out, um, I think it was on social media just for people and um, I thought, well, you know, I need to get involved because she's trying to do something. This is a student-based um, thing that she did for her, um, her course and, uh, no, I think she did a really good job. Good on her. I think it was Gandhi and I'm going to be paraphrasing horribly but he said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you and then you win. After decades of ignorance and ridicule, longtime vegan Megan Street believes vegans are now at the fighting stage, and what's at stake is the fate of our planet. Her climate activism began at 21, when she realised just how environmentally destructive the meat industry was, and decided to go vegan. It really was uh, the idea that we were taking too much from the planet. We were taking more than our fair share. Now, decades later, her feelings have only gotten stronger as humans continue to destroy the environment for the sake of our lifestyle. 
The Amazon is burning at a record rate, and the blame lies in our diets. Worldwide meat consumption has resulted in Brazilian farmers clearing land for cattle. Brazil is the largest producer and exporter of beef in the world, and nearly 50% of Brazilian livestock are raised in fields that used to be rainforest. The Amazon fires will result in a significant loss of biodiversity and further global warming as the emissions released accelerate climate breakdown. Obviously, I'd prefer it not to be happening, but I figure I can't really do anything from my place in the world at the moment. Jacqueline Holland feels a bit hopeless about the situation, like many of us on the other side of the world. We just have to take action in any way that we can. Megan doesn't believe we should just sit and watch as our planet's lungs are burning when our dietary choices play a crucial role in environmental destruction. According to a recent UN climate change report on food and land, switching to a plant-based diet can help fight climate change. The report also said that high consumption of meat and dairy in the West is fueling global warming. But despite the environmental benefits, Jacqueline doesn't believe she has the willpower to switch from an omnivore diet to a vegan one. I tried it for a week just as like an experiment to see what it was like. Basically, you feel hungry all the time. <laughs> so that wasn't fun. On the other hand, Megan's veganism journey was a positive one. She believes it's super easy nowadays with an abundance of vegan options available. There are so many substitutes and there are so many things, you know, um, vegan milks and yogurts and meat substitutes. You can be the type of person that you were before you just remove all of the animal products so what does megan typically eat in a day so i'll get up and make a smoothie so my smoothie will mostly be uh, dates bananas mango or i might go the sort of nut milk uh, chocolate way then i get to work i have snacks my snacks are fruit nuts pretty much things that are very healthy whole foods because um, I'm a whole foods plant-based person. My lunch might consist of a very big salad so greens, tomatoes, avocado, capsicum, sprouts etc and that's usually also my dinner as well. While veganism could be a way to minimize climate change effects its impact on agricultural industries may not be as positive. Coming from an agricultural background Jacqueline points out that farmers, like her parents who raise sheep, have their livelihoods revolved around meat production. If people were to stop buying meat, then suddenly we're a lot more worse off. You don't have to cut out meat entirely as long as farmers are willing to implement more sustainable practices. ClimateWorks Land and Future Use Program Manager Ellie Court believes we can make agriculture more sustainable by improving productivity on less land and incorporating more biodiversity. We're going to have to use every technology at our disposal, but we can't think that we should be adopting technologies that are going to enable us to have farms that are even less friendly to biodiversity than they are today. You know, a mixed approach like the landscape always used to be. According to the UN, we've got 11 years to make drastic changes if we want to avoid climate catastrophe. Never has the fight for our planet, our home, been more urgent than now. The next thing we do is win. We either win or the planet just, the planet needs us to win. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock and you're listening to Fill in the Dots. You know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, Fill in the 
3CR Community Radio. You got it right, you've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 8.55am, we're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976 and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by... By Neil Mitchell. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. On, that always gets a laugh. Um, on Freedom of Species on 3CR, uh, I'm joined by Megan Street from Green Left Radio here on 3CR and also Harley, who has written the article, Whose Environment Are We Fighting For? Why the Environmental Movement Frightens Me as an Animal Ally? And yeah, we, we've spent most of the show talking about this idea of uh, changes in the animal movement and this sort of moving away from uh, centering the animals themselves to more centering um humans or animal advocates or vegans etc uh, but we're going to finish up with a quick discussion about animals in the environment and where animals fit in um, etc um, so yeah we'll, we'll briefly touch on Harley's article and we'll also I've linked to this article in uh, on social media so if you go to freedom of species social media um, you listen to this live you can have a look at that and also in the notes at freedomofspecies.org if you're listening to this after the fact you can have a look at, at the article we won't be able to cover it uh, all by any means but um, yeah, do you want to talk a bit about um, yeah, I guess your experience in the environmental movement and, and some of the issues with uh, a lack of concern about individual animals, Holly? Yeah, absolutely. So this article was brewing in my mind for quite a while before I wrote it, and it really started because I yeah I entered I started entering more environmental spaces um, at the start of this year, mm. and I you know I was very you know, I was very passionate about environmental justice as well as animal justice. So I thought it was kind of a natural progression for me. And it was great for the most part. Um, I met some really great people, really radical people. And but it was kind of like what you said earlier, Nick, about, you know, it's like progressive except for mm. and in this case it was progressive except for speciesism. So what I noticed was that not eating animals started to become in the environmental spaces was starting to be used as you know a way to f- fight for climate justice but in a way that didn't involve actual animals so it was like you have to stop eating meat um you have to stop eating the flesh of animals because it's bad for the environment and that got me really thinking like okay so eating animals is bad for the environment because animals use a lot of land, they use a lot of resources, they produce methane, they're, they are bad for the environment. It's not the eating of animals that is bad for the environment, it is them that is bad for the environment. So if we look particularly at like the beef industry, so the people who are breeding cows for human consumption, that industry is disproportionately targeted in this kind of rationale like you know we talk we hear lots of conversations about you have to stop eating red meat because it's bad for the environment and as animal justice advocates we often co-opt that as being good for our movement we co-opt it as oh yeah we're getting people to stop eating animals that's great and in a way it is but what struck me is that more and more now the environmental movement is focused around this idea of an emergency of a crisis and the thing that happens is when an emergency gets declared, when a crisis gets declared, emergency protocols are put in place. And usually, almost 
always emergency protocols benefit the people in power. So when we look at this idea of like a climate emergency, a climate catastrophe, there's a real risk that that's going to increasingly marginalise and increasingly oppress, you know, people from the global south, people who are already marginalised, people who are already struggling to get by, and, of course, animals. So I saw this idea of animals being the problem, not humans eating them, but them being the problem. So I thought, and it got me on this line, it got me kind of this, you know, thought spiral of imagine this future where this emergency is put in place and all the parliaments get together and go, yes, they're right, we can't breed cows anymore because they're too bad for the environment. What happens to the cows? They can't just let them live out their happy lives on sanctuaries because they are bad for the environment. They're polluting the earth with methane. If we center them as being a cause of the environmental catastrophe, then they become a way of fixing it by eliminating them. Mm. So it started to just getting this really uncomfortable kind of dystopia kind of feeling. Like I just imagine this future with massive culls of all these animals who are deemed to be part of the climate catastrophe. Mm. And that scared me. Mm. So yeah, I wrote this article in reaction to that, in this idea that we need to be allies to individual animals. We need to see them as mattering beyond their impact on the world. We need to see them as individuals. We need to challenge speciesism at its root, not just get attached to this idea that, oh, yeah, the environmental movement is helping us because it's getting people to stop eating animals. But what it's not doing is getting people to stop challenging the perception that humans have the right to decide what happens to animals. Mm -hmm. We have the right to decide whether they're food or not. We have the right to decide whether they live or die. And we're already seeing that with environmentally-led culling of kangaroos, brumbies, and a lot of other animals. So this isn't something that's, you know, a dystopian kind of future. This is happening right now today. It's just not animals that we often see because we don't really see the culling of brumbies, kangaroos, it's happening kind of out of our sight. There's some great documentaries showing it. And, you know, even like cane toads, stuff mm. like that. Almost unanimously people would support the culling of cane toads, but they're individuals. They have lives that matter. And if, we're, if we are to be like animal liberation, animal justice act, act, um, allies, then we can't see them as being like as their worth being dependent on their positive contribute contribution to the world so yeah that was kind of the focus of the article and it's something that i'm really keen to start more dialogue about so mm. yeah and i think it is a really important to important point to address especially because it's definitely not like just a hypothetical like and it definitely is like particularly if governments did declare uh, declare a climate emergency def- I, those, all those kind of things would be exaggerated but even now there are is a lot of species within environmental spaces and people really reveling in killing certain species mm. of animals because they're not meant to be here in inverted commas and those kind of things and so this idea of yeah it's best for the environment so of course would kill kangaroos and again we can debate whether it's best for the environment but from an animal liberation standpoint it's really besides the point if they're individuals who have value but there's this almost this idea of like well just like with climate change we you know acknowledge the science and respond to it so if the science says that it's going to be better to kill these animals then we're going to do it and so there is a lot of that neglecting individual animals Uh, me and Megan did a whole show on this a while ago (laughs) you can check that out at freedomspecies.org and on iTunes, uh, it was called, I believe, Megan Street, um, Animals and the Environmental Movement, something along those lines. But yeah, anything yeah. you'd like to add, either you didn't cover on that show or, or responding to Harley, Megan? Yeah, Harley's point of um, where do we go with regards to individual animals? Um, as Harley explained, 
we do run the risk of putting uh, the blame onto the animal rather than blame onto the system that we have in place. Mm. So, you know, the individual animal, yes, contributes to climate change, but so do we. Do, mm. Does that mean that we should be culled? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting point. But the, the thing is we have billions of, of domestic animals and we spend a lot of money and a lot of effort to raise these animals for food. Um, we are the ones putting in place this structure where these there's a vast number of these animals that would not be here normally. Um, and I think um, obviously, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that we aren't going to go vegan overnight. We're not going to go, um, we're not going to stop eating animals overnight. We're not going to stop, you know, abusing and using them overnight. Um, and there is a lot of energy that's put into the breeding of these animals. But if you have a look, I think the average cow age, what is that, 15, 20, 20 years? 20, 20 years, yeah. yep. Um, you know, h- how at what point do we address this? Because it is a situation that we get into. If we have declared an emergency and we say we don't want to cull these animals and they're living to 20 years or something, um, you know, how do we address that? And it's the same thing with the culling of other animals. The culling of the animal is a very simplistic and cheap way to get rid of the problem. That's the thing. It's all about economics. Um, when we cull animals, we don't acknowledge the fact that we can actually, um, you know, control numbers in ways that um, still leave the animal alive and still leave them with some form of autonomy. Um, you know, we, when we look at um, look at the koalas, I mean, we're, we're culling them and they're functionally extinct. Mm, you know, mm. we're not actually doing it for their own good. We're actually doing it. I, I honestly don't know for some, you know, unknown reason, um, you know, for the environmental impact of some of these animals. But we do have to, when we have a look at and we centre our, our compa- compassion in, a, in an all-inclusive circle, look at other ways of doing things that don't actually look, still look at the animal as something that is our thing to use, mm. our thing to kill, our thing to eat, our thing to wear. And so, yeah, no, it's definitely a definitely thing we have to think about and we have to engage in conversation about. Yeah, and again, to promote some of our old episodes, we also did an episode on compassionate conservation, which is kind of bringing some of these sort of animal rights ideas into conservation. Mm -hmm. And often a lot of the critiques of that are, oh, you've got these non-lethal solutions, but they're not viable. And when we say not viable, we mean they're too too expensive. Not worth spending the money on that marginalised group, basically. So I think, yeah, economics plays in that sort of mix of economics and and not valuing uh, individuals or certain groups enough. Um, We'll finish up with a very quick plug for liberated futures so um yeah i'm with critical institute for critical animal studies and we're organizing that one along with collectively free cooler nations and that is saturday 30th of november um until sunday the 1st of december so next weekend at library at the dock in docklands here in melbourne um there's a bunch of different talks going on and um definitely a lot of people have been on this show um delan fernando is talking about learnings from animal rebellion uk um adam freedom of species his host is talking about research for animal liberation and how we can use academic research to advance animal, animal liberation. There's also talks on act- activism for kangaroos, which is something we've covered on the show before. Uh, Joanne Madden has been on the show. will be facilitating a session on community building and community care. Um, Harley will be speaking a couple of times at this event. Do you want to talk briefly about what you'll be covering, Harley? Yeah, sure. Um, so on the Saturday, I'm facilitating a panel about connecting animal activism with other movements. So the panel is going to have Claire DiCarlo, um, Betty Mallon and Jess Jess Eisen and Cressida Wilson. So I think that's going to be a really, really great panel. And then on the Sunday from 12 to 1, I'm going to be doing a workshop on building a liberated future amidst trauma. And 
I'm very excited about this workshop because it's a bit of an experiment. So come along. Yeah, yeah I think you're going to try and do something different, uh, interpretive dance or something. Oh, maybe. yeah. There's, there's no interpretive dance <laughs> no, at no, this no, stage, no, no, but no, no. there is going to be some creativity. Yep. And it will be a lot of fun for everyone involved, I think. And just a really, I'm hoping to build a nice space to talk about this. Breaking the mold. So lots of interesting sessions. Uh, Yeah, a few talks, but generally it's going to be really interactive. So a lot of workshops, a few panels, those kind of things. So you can come along and hear people speak, but also join in the discussions on these issues all about creating a better world. So that more sort of positive aspect of social movements, not just talking about what we oppose, but also trying to create these new worlds as well. And so registration is zero to 30 dollars depending on your income etc um fairly affordable and yeah you can get or you can order lunch from lord of the fries or smooth me superfood bar i think Me- megan might be going for smooth me over lord of the fries <laughs> I, I, would, I would imagine um but yeah you can also we're having a social dinner at henry's burgers in fitzroy as well on the saturday night so yeah um vegan food and yeah important discussions etc so hopefully um some listeners can come along so if you want to register for that conference or find out more just search liberated futures on facebook and you'll get all the information. Um, and so just in the last, um, yeah, very quickly, can we get a quick plug for Green Left Radio, Megan? Yeah, awesome. Green Left Radio, uh, it's 7 a.m. to 8.30 on Fridays. We talk about a whole bunch of different things, including working class issues, our struggle of marginalised people from all around the world, uh, voices that are not normally heard in the mainstream media. So independent media, as in 3CR and Freedom of Species, etc., it's so important because we don't hear these stories in corporate media. So Green Left Radio and its sister newspaper, Green Left Weekly, are really important in getting these stories out to the everyday person. Mm-hmm. And Harley, I believe your writing is up on medium.com. Is that- yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm Harley McDonald Eckersall up there. You can also follow me on Facebook. Um, I'm Holly Eccles, which is H O L L Y E C K E L L S. So, yeah check it out great and you can contact us with feedback info at freedomofspecies.org connect with us on facebook or twitter on twitter we're at fos radio we're going to finish up with the track um yeah uh it's by ramshackle glory from here till utopia song for the desperate i thought of this in light of the i yeah the icas and collectively free conference all about kind of building utopias so yeah we're going to finish up with this one um i did also want to put in a um yeah, a note about um, there is some swearing in the songs. So I did have to make a note about that. Should have done that earlier for me. Uh, yeah, oops. <laughs> that's right. It happens all the time on 3CR, so yeah, yeah I, I do hear that. Um, yeah, hear that quite a bit. It's all good. Um, but, yeah, so basically, um, yeah, get in touch with us. We're, we're 1 till 2 every Sunday. And next up is the show and Psychedelia, so check that out. They've got lots of really interesting discussions about issues around drug use, drug policy, all those kind of things. So it's always worth listening to make sure you stay tuned for and psychedelia Listen 
been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.